and welcome to the Talking Techniques podcast, the show that brings you the latest from the frontiers in the life sciences, straight from the people exploring them. I'm your host, Biotechniques Digital Editor, Tristan Free, and in this podcast, I'll explore the latest developments from across the life sciences, speaking to leaders in their field and people who can provide new perspectives on established topics, while examining how we can advance in the most ethical and progressive ways. In this episode, I'm speaking to a very special guest. Winner of the Future Science Future Star Award and recent feature on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list, Andy Tay is a fantastic example of an early career researcher who has seized every opportunity with both hands and is not content to leave science as he has found it. On top of his fascinating research into immunity and pain modulation, Andy is also a champion of diversity in STEM, something that he embodies both in his science communication and in the organisation of his lab. So, hi Andy, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, just to start off, can you tell us a bit about yourself and your career to date? So, hello everybody, I'm Andy. I was born and raised in Singapore. And after completing my bachelor's degree in biomedical engineering from the National University of Singapore, I went on to the United States for my PhD and postdoc. Um, during this period, I've also spent uh, quite a substantial amount of research time in different countries like Germany, Japan, Australia, and UK so that I'm able to learn from the best researchers around the world, but also to um, embed myself in the different research cultures we have. So currently, my research is focusing on engineering the immune system. And in my lab, we do it through multiple ways. One of them is trying to develop a more efficient and gentle way to introduce DNA into immune cells and to engineer these immune cells for cancer treatment. And the other is to design biomaterials that can regenerate uh, damaged lymph nodes so that they can support cancer treatment. Fantastic. Um, and congratulations on your on winning the award. How do you feel about winning? It's a really great feeling to have won the award. And I think that uh, winning this award shows that the selection committee and the people who voted recognize the impact of my scientific work and also um, my achievements in science outreach efforts. So here I'd really like to thank my friends, colleagues and family members who have supported me all this while. So with this winning uh, of this Future Science Award, I really hope that I can use the platform to advocate for science communication to the public. This is something that I'm really passionate about and have been doing for a few years now. In my science communication efforts, I usually try to represent the diversity we have in science. For instance, in a recent article I wrote for Valentine's Day, I featured probably the most diverse science couples ever from different career stages, geographies, sexual orientations, and ethnic groups. And in doing so, the message that I want to send to people and my readers is that uh, STEM is a very inclusive environment and also industry, and people who may be poorly represented now should not feel afraid to come into STEM. And I hope that through this award, I can further advocate um, this meaningful causes of mine. That's fantastic. Um, and it's a really encouraging message, especially considering all the things that are happening in STEM at the moment, um, particularly in North America and uh, in Europe, perhaps that are exposing the lack of representation from minoritized groups in STEM. Um, so it's great to have your efforts added to those of many others. Um, for instance, Twitter accounts like Black in Neuro or Visi STEM Africa um, in trying to show that STEM can be inclusive, highlighting the benefits of diversity um, and broadening awareness of STEM careers as a viable option for minoritized groups. So just circling back to your the sort of beginning of your career, 
and and your focus on that inclusivity in STEM. Do you think that your time in sort of Germany, Japan, Austria, and the UK, um, sort of experiencing different cultures and maybe seeing um, what life was like for you in those in those different countries, has is that what's led you on to being passionate about diversity in STEM? Um, personally, I feel that uh, growing up in Singapore, Singapore being a very diverse nation has uh, definitely played a role in terms of me wanting to promote diversity as a scientist, as a science communicator. But I also feel that when I go to different countries, I'm learning so many wonderful things about the scientific cultures uh, that is so different. And it makes me feel that there is so much that we can benefit from one another if we are just being more open-minded to learn from one another. So, for instance, when I went to um, Germany, I realized that um, the people there are more straightforward. For example, if you are presenting and they, they may not uh, feel that you are presenting well, they will not be afraid to tell you that um, you should improve on certain aspects of your presentation. On the other hand, in Singapore and in America, where I primarily done my research, um, people tend to be a bit more polite and they tend to sweet code our comments. So even if the presentation is going not going that well, we would be uh, we will we will not really um, take the initiative to tell tell the presenters that. And through my experience in Germany, I, I realized that people actually appreciate that that honesty. That um, if they feel that they are not good enough, we want to give them pointers and advice so that they can so that they can improve on on, on their presentation and also for their research. And what I'm trying to do now in my lab is that. Um, because uh, Singapore is quite, it's a quite a diverse country. We have people coming to do research in Singapore from different countries. So my experience working in the different countries like Japan and Germany and America would really allow me to interact with colleagues from different research backgrounds and cultural backgrounds so that we can build a more in- inclusive and diverse uh, science environment. Fantastic. Um, and you've also just been included in the Forbes 30 under 30 list. Please could you tell us a bit more about the, the research that gained you this recognition? So that research was uh, based on the work I did as a PhD student. Um, that the, the work that actually got me the award was uh, magnetic biomaterials that uh, was found to be useful to relieve pain. So as you may know, uh, pain is a very prevalent chronic disease. And currently, it affects about close to 40% of the world's population. And current treatments are limited. So what my technology can offer is a unique way to look at pain. So pain has been traditionally studied from a very biomolecular and biochemistry angle. But so far, starting from these two angles have actually led to very limited innovations in terms of how we can relieve pain. So what my technology did was to look at pain and to study pain through a biophysical angle. And in that paper, we described a magnetic gel that can be combined with magnetic stimulation uh, to provide some sort of biomechanical um, stimulation to neurons. And preliminary results have shown that perhaps this material may be useful in animals and in humans for pain relief. And I think it was that impact of that idea and also, I think the novelty of this idea that got me the Fox Award. Could you explain to me a little bit more about how the magnetic biomaterials trigger that biomechanical change that can, can lead to that pain relief? Um, it sounds like a fascinating 
um, a fascinating mechanism that I've not heard about much personally beforehand. Okay, sure. So let, let me try to explain, explain the mechanism for this technology. So uh, pain can be felt in many different ways. If you think about it, you may have experienced pain because of heat. You may have experienced pain because of extreme cold or even uh, mechanical pain uh, when uh, you are pricked by a needle or a sharp object. So one of the most important protein that uh, is actually responsible for us to feel pain is called a mechanosensitive ion channel. And as the name suggests, uh, these ion channels, which are basically uh, cell membrane proteins, they are sensitive to mechanical forces, which means that in the presence of a mechanical forces, they will open. And what happens is that when they are open, ions will flow into the neuron, and this will cause the neuron to send out signals um, that encode for pain. So in my uh, technology, what I do is that we provide very um, modulated uh, mechanical stimulation to these cells, and we sort of condition the cells uh, such that uh, they no longer are activated by very slight change in mechanical forces. So what happens is that after a significant period of modulation, the cells actually reduce their number of these mechanosensitive ion channels. So when these numbers are increased, it means that you need a greater uh, stimuli to cause pain. And as a result, um, it actually increases the threshold of pain, and that will help many people who are suffering from um, pain that's induced by um, low, low threshold signals due to the neuron. That sounds like research that's going to have a huge impact in terms of um, chronic pain sufferers. And so, turning back to, um, um, sorry, turning back to your your ambition to sort of raise awareness um, in science communication um, and diversity in STEM, um, can you tell us a bit more about your plans um, pl- plans to promote this? in a more diverse way. So I have been um, writing science articles for a few years now. And over these many years of experience, what I realized is that not every audience uh, prefer uh, or like to be engaged to reading. Uh, and also, there are people who are genuinely interested in science, but they may not be able to understand a very uh, challenging scientific concept. Uh, and on the other hand, we are seeing that there's advances in technology in terms of how we are sharing our media like pictures, videos. So what I hope to do is to diversify the way that I'm engaging my audience. So besides science writing, I hope that in the future I can explore other means like pictures, um, social media, uh, virtual lab tours, and even volunteering in museums. And in fact, um, just a few months ago, I actually wrote an article about conducting virtual lab tours uh, during a pandemic um, era, which is like now. Um, the second strategy is that I always believe it is much better to, and also stronger to have team support. So what I'm doing as a researcher now is to train my students to become better science communicators so that we can expand our outreach to society through a team effort. So what I recently did was to connect some of my PhD students to uh, a colleague I know from the Materials Research Society Bulletin. Uh, and my students, would, they will volunteer as reporters to write blogs and articles summarizing research content uh, during the annual um, Materials Research Society uh, meeting. Brill. Well, that sounds like a, a well-laid-out plan that you have there. Um, 
what was it that first got you into science? What first inspired you to go down this path? I think what really got me into science was basic curiosity. So my parents have told me that as a child, I was always very curious and um, sometimes that curiosity would actually annoy them quite a bit. So for instance, uh, when I visited the zoo as a child, I would have questioned like, why is a flamingo preferring to stand on one leg? Uh, why does a tiger have stripes but not lion? And I think that because of this curiosity, science was a very natural career to, for me to go into. But also as I grew older, I realized that uh, I want a job that allows me to impact society and to make a difference in the lives of people. And I think science is just a, a great way for me to do that because it combines my interest in, um, in research in, in science and also my passion to make a difference in healthcare and medicine and combining that with uh, my curious personality, I think that is one great way for me uh, to make an, make, an, uh, make a difference to society. So, for, instance, for example, in my research right now, um, I'm actually trying to design materials and technology um, to combat chronic diseases like cancer. And I think this is a great way for me to make an impact because as humans uh, are living longer, uh, there will be greater incidence and prevalence of chronic diseases like cancer. And in order for us to live a good quality life, we need better ways to diagnose, to treat and to prevent um, this deadly disease. In, in the beginning, were there any um, scientific heroes or um, any particular people that um, inspired you as well? Or was it, um, was it always that curiosity just driving you um, solo? Right. This is, a, this is a really great question. Um, but, and I've been asked a couple of times, but uh, I don't really have any scientific heroes. Um, and I'm not sure why it may be because um, as a child growing up, science was never really featured in the mainstream media. So uh, as I grew up, I didn't really have any scientific heroes. But along my career so far, there have been so many outstanding scientists who have impressed me with their ideas and also how perseverant they are when it comes to pursuing a very novel scientific idea. And I'm also very impressed by scientists who have created so many meaningful technologies to advance science. For instance, the inventors of uh, CRISPR, inventors of optogenetics, have really transformed the way that we are studying neuroscience and studying the brain. And then we can possibly make a breakthrough in terms of brain health. On the other spectrum, there are also uh, outstanding immunology um, bioengineers who are making a difference in terms of cancer immunotherapy and trying to design better ways for us to uh, treat cancer. Turning to other early career researchers um, who may be trying to emulate your success, do you have any key tips for, for them in their, their early careers? Um, but I'd also like to ask you if you had any tips for creating a diverse lab as, as you have. And as, as you've mentioned, it's, it's such a key aspect of science. Obviously, your, your, your position in Singapore makes things slightly easier with it being such a, a diverse country, but I'd, I'd still find it really interesting to see, get your insights on, on how you go about creating um, a diverse lab. So, um, I, I do have three tips for early, careers, early, career, early career researchers who are trying, uh, who are trying uh, to make an impact on science, on society. And I feel that this, uh, this tips are can actually tie in quite well with building a diverse lab. So I think firstly, uh, my first advice is do not be afraid to take calculated risk. So for, for example, um, if you have an idea that you think is extremely groundbreaking, 
and you may want to actually go all the way into, into doing this project. But I feel that reward always comes with a risk, and usually when there's a greater risk, there's also greater reward. And therefore, in order to minimize this risk, uh, what I'll advise um, the early career researcher is to uh, make sure that he or she has done a very comprehensive literature review um, and has spoken to experts so that the person does not repeat the same mistake uh, again. And I think this is really important um, to take calculated risks and do not be afraid to take them. And I think secondly, uh, the second advice is to find good mentors. And I think um, that is actually a very a good um, solution as well to build a very diverse lab. So I've been extremely lucky um, as a researcher. So my undergraduate mentor, Professor Lim Tritik, and my PhD supervisor, Professor Dino DiCarlo, they have been extremely good mentors. And uh, in their lab, uh, it is also extremely diverse. We have people of different colors, different cultural backgrounds, um, and, and different agenda as well. And I think what is cool is that when you are being trained and being uh, trained as a researcher in this diverse lab, you actually uh, grow to become a researcher that embrace this kind of diversity. And I think in the future, it actually encourages you to build inclusive lab so that uh, we are actually building a more inclusive uh, STEM community. And I think the last piece of advice uh, is something that's close to my heart, which is to be kind to one another. Science can be a competitive uh, industry, um, people often have very similar ideas at around the same time. And, um, and as scientists, we have to compete with our peers for the best grant, the best journal to publish your paper in, the best award, the best fellowship, and even to compete for the best students. But I think that during this competition and this stiff competition, I think researchers have to remind ourselves like, what is the real reason why we are being so competitive and why we are doing science. And I think often it can be boiled down to two main factors. I think firstly is that people are interested in science and that is why they become researchers. And secondly, uh, we want to make a difference to society and that's why we, we go into research. And I think that if we can remind one another of that, uh, we can remind ourselves that we are actually not competitors but we are a team trying to make a difference to society using science, and that will actually encourage us to be kind to one another. And while, and while being so, we, are, we will be able to build a very kind, um, kind, kind environment and kind culture in the lab. And I think this will be more inviting for people who are fully represented in STEM, who know that um, this lab environment is not hostile, it is kind, it is accepting, and they will be more inclined uh, to join the lab and to improve the diversity in the lab. Fantastic. Well, again, you've um, delivered a, a very concise and um, comprehensive um, plan for, for building that, that diverse lab. So um, thank you very much for that. Andy, it's been fantastic to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for joining me. Thank you very much, Tristan. Thank you. If you would like to find out more about Andy and his work, you can check out our interview with him on site over on www.biotechniques.com in the interview section. And if you've enjoyed the podcast and would like to hear more, you can check out our podcasts in the podcast section of our site or over on Acast, Spotify and Apple Podcasts by searching Talking Techniques. Thank you for listening. Stay safe and goodbye.